Hey, 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 my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio, and I am putting this out specifically <laughs> because I, A, because I put out a week uh, podcast every week, but for those of you who have not listened to this show during this holiday season, I never stop, which means that I will always, I will always be in your eardrums around Friday morning, reliably. I'm recording this on Wednesday, though, because I'm going to family for Thanksgiving. I went to a fancy dinner tonight, but I'm still recording the podcast, so that's how life's going. But the other way life is going is I want to thank everybody for listening to the episode on Gotcha Man Crowds. That was totally a coincidence that I put it out while there is a article in Otaku USA um, although my favorite article in at least the latest issue of Otaku USA is the one that Daryl wrote about Pat Labor, which we also, which I also did a episode on. You can go see late uh, earlier in this feed or wherever it ended up in this feed. But before we get to like our main drag here, there are there have been some events as of late. That I'd like to talk about. Now I'm not talking about Stan Lee. Although it is sad that Stan Lee is no longer with us. But I am talking about. The Detective Pikachu trailer. The thing that eventually finds its way into every game reviewer's brain. On the internet. And they just kind of. It it just kind of like. When you see it. If you haven't seen the Detective Pikachu trailer. uh, First off, no one, people eventually come to acknowledge the true disturbingness of that trailer in what is presented as a realistic depiction of Mr. Mime, which is just, just, just the worst. Just, like, not, not the worst, it's like, the best, but, <laughs> yo, Mr. Mime looks like he shouldn't be allowed within six feet, within... 300 feet of a school of a school zone <laughs> he looks creepy as shit but um so that's the first trailer I want to talk about because I think it's really interesting that this is the first live action Pokemon that they didn't just try and make a full on like Pokemon proper movie they used I think this is really smart they used or they're using a kind of side story that has a lot more context to it because the a trap that lots of comic book and anime and like things that get turned into live action oftentimes fall into is that people need to be told the origin story how many times have you seen the origin story of batman I'd venture to guess at least five times. How many times have you seen the origin story of Spider-Man? At least two. How many times have you seen the origin story of the Fantastic Four? That's the only part they ever get to tell because those movies are always terrible. Um, but... The... Interesting thing about Detective Pikachu is it just takes... It just 
take for granted that you know what Pokemon is. People who go see this know what Pokemon is because Pokemon is, uh, it is my belief that Pokemon is one of the last, is the, it's not the last, the last might be Harry Potter, but it is one of the last true monocultural things in the world. If that makes any sense. What I mean by monocultural is it, is I mean everybody likes Pokemon. There is a way for everybody to enter into Pokemon. Now, you can look at things like Twilight, like um, the Hunger Games, or stuff like that, and there's ways for certain people to get into Twilight, but there's a lot of ways for certain people to just, like, dismiss Twilight out of hand for valid and invalid criticisms of that story. But Pokemon creates this universalness to it that just kind of, like, gets us to the, gets people to the point of, okay, you know what Pokemon is? Now, now next we're going to teach you what breathing is, kind of thing. And the Detective Pikachu is depending on that to tell its story. It's saying, okay, you know Ash Ketchum and the whole nine yards, the whole 151 Pokemon, whatever. Here is a story in that, in that concept of reality, in that, um, in that, in that universe, go. And it's, it's a really, int- it, it, like I said, it sidesteps the issue of, of needing an origin, an origin story proper, a la Batman, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, any of the superheroes you want to think of. But what it also does is it says, okay, Here's a story about, like, the people who don't become the Pokemon Master. That uh, I have been playing the um, Let's Go, the, the po- Pokemon Let's Go. Um, I picked Eevee because that seemed like the blue version, and I am a s- blue diehard, if that makes any sense. Um, which is a weird way to phrase that, but whatever. Um, so... And seeing, like, the universe of red, yellow, blue, like, codified hard into one thing, that, that whole thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The only people who live in, <laughs> and, uh, like, your brain will go where your brain goes, um, the only people who live in Palatown are, at, are Ash and his mom, his rival and his mom, who I named Gary because I like beating up Gary Oak, um, and Gary's grandpa, Professor Oak. There are three buildings in that town. Huh? And uh, what I'm trying to say is, if you start poking at the edges of Pokemon real hard, you, like, go down some rabbit holes that, like, Make Ash Gary's uncle kind of thing. Which if you haven't heard that whole deal, go look that up. That's a fun hour and a half, maybe, on the internet. But, um, 
Pokemon sidesteps that by sidesteps that issue too. Pokemon um or Detective Pikachu sidesteps that issue too by giving you some idea of like what happens to people who aren't like absolutely insanely Pokemon centric? What happens to people who you know, couldn't beat the fifth gym, or couldn't even beat the first gym, or it didn't, it just didn't go well for them. Essentially, what happened to that kid you, whose ass you kicked on Route 2? What did he do with his life after he realized, like, well, game's up, I got no more money, that, that asshole kid just took the rest of it. I might as well go be a banker. And the... It poses an interesting reality, and it it looks it looks not terrible so far. I, I we could all be in for a very very bumpy ride, but so far it looks okay. The other trailer I want to talk about is James Cameron's Baby, and let me tell you, James Cameron makes a beautiful looking fucking baby. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, I went to go see, um, what, it was on the front of, I went to go see Bohemian Rhapsody, and A, Bohemian Rhapsody, very, very good movie about, like, a band and a rock superstar. But in front of that movie is the trailer for Alita Battle Angel, which if you've haven't heard of that. It is a uncompleted um, anime OVA and I believe complete run of a manga from the mid to late 80s about an android girl who fights in a like superhuman death tournament and James Cameron has had the rights for this to make the movie version of it for decades like a, a lot of decades i'm not sure exactly how many but like more than you would expect so he finally gets to make his like th this is like the long shot project of long shot projects but you know at some point he probably looked at people and he said they're making freaking ghost of the shell and that looks like a dumpster fire why don't I get to make my thing? And now he gets to make his thing. And it comes out, I believe, in February. And it just... The, the trailer looks gorgeous. The bug... Her bug... The character's bug eyes make sense. Kind of. They're still disconcerting, but they mostly make sense. And it... It just goes to show that there are people out there who really, truly, and deeply appreciate this stuff. Be, even beyond the, and by this stuff I mean like anime, manga, anime, manga, but even beyond the superficial, like, cash grabness or, like, paying homage to what lots of people believe to be the birth of a, um, film of a, film language for cyberpunk in Ghost in the Shell, people care about that stuff. They're out there. 
and they're not all crazy like Kanye West. Um, but more on that maybe some other time. But we're not here to, to actually talk about that, even as I've been talking about it probably for a good three minutes. But we are here to talk about 12 minutes. Wow. Um, <laughs> uh, that That's why this thing is cut off in an hour, because any longer I would just spiral into a terrible time loop. But we are here to talk about a little movie. Got kind of big at some point. Now, back in 2008, when Spirit Away came out, at least, just universally, not even just in America, but universally, kind of, uh, I was a kid in middle, I believe, um, 2008, um, I was a kid in high school. I was a kid in high school. I was a freshman in high school. It might have been. I was I, at some point at which it would have ma- still made sense for my mom to say, "Hey, let's go into New York and see Spirited Away," because my I've told this story on the podcast uh, at least once. My kind of like formative experience with anime came when my mom brought home. Princess Mononoke on VHS, VHS, the VHS that Miramax put out. Miramax no longer exists, but they were the original licensors of Princess Mononoke. And since then, I was in love with not only Miyazaki, although that was a large part of it, but anime. So... There was a new Miyazaki movie coming out, in Spirited Away, and I was like, yes, yes, I will totally go see that. Um, I have the Wikipedia page up. I can't believe I screwed up that. Um, but I... So I went to see this in the theaters, and I went to see it in New York in the theaters, and at the time... That was like a huge thing for me. Now, 2001, July 2001. So I was in high school. But at the time, that was a huge thing for me. That was not something I did every couple months the way I do now. I'm going to see um, the new Mamaro Hosoda movie on the 5th of December in New York. But now this that's just like a thing I do. I just go in and I see anime movies and I talk about them here. But back then, it was a huge deal. And it became an even bigger deal. Because Princess Mononoke is one of the few animated films 
and as far as many, and I'm pretty sure one of, if not the only anime film to win an Oscar, it accomplished the what many people believe to be the impossible, and it won an Oscar. Now, I wrote a article about this, about anime and the anime industry's struggle with winning, like, traditionally accepted Western high-end award shows. Like, take, like, something like, how is something like, um, your name supposed to win an Oscar? The, the, the path, the path is clear, but the ability is not, but the ability, but it's not clear uh, if the Oscar nominating committee or the, um, Academy of Motion Picture Sciences will ever take that seriously, but they have before. They have totally before, and they did with Princess Monoki, with, um, uh, Spirited Away. And I think part of that is because uh, Spirit... Award shows are less about what's the best movie, what's the best TV show, and more about what something does with what it has. So, a movie, a movie like Your Name has a lot to say about a lot, but it doesn't, it's a very personal, heartwarming, soul-crushing at times story. My friend Lauren, hi Lauren if you're listening, told me a story about going to see Your Name just like on a whim when she was going to see um, a mystery science theater um, thing in, in a theater by her and she couldn't go see the mystery science theater thing after she had to go home and like curl in a ball under the cover and just like cry for a solid hour because that thing just gave her such emotional whiplash that she like couldn't handle reality anymore. Her boyfriend had to drive her boyfriend at the time had to drive her home. Had to drive had to drive home because she was like not in a place where she could after that movie, which I totally get. But asking asking a not just a Asking an audience who's not tuned to that to identify with it, to to identify with something like your name, it's pretty difficult when you stop and break it down. But asking an audience to identify with something like Spirit Away isn't. Because it wears its morals on its sleeve, it tells a fantastic it takes away the idea that you could experience this that th- that this is a real thing being told in animated form because it is so fantastical it is and it's fantastical and it's difficult it it uses animation to do something that live action can't, if that makes any sense. It, 
oftentimes you uh, on lots of people will talk about things like um Satoshi Kon's movies like specifically specifically lately since it had a release in theaters around the country um the movie Perfect Blue and Perfect Blue was scheduled to be was like supposed to be a live action movie but it ended up being pawned off on Satoshi Kon and so he made it an animated movie and he did lots of really interesting cool tricks but at its core the story could have been told in live action it, it, it didn't need to be an animated feature it was and it was almost definitely better for it but it wasn't it wasn't a required thing Spirited Away, in particular, needs to be an animated feature. They could do, they could attempt to do it in live action, but the amount of CGI or costuming or what have you they would have to do to make it complete would be uh, quite the feat, to say the least. And so what I'm trying to say here is that instead of using animation as a platform to tell a story, they're using animation as a part of the creative process. And that is really probably one of the reasons why people are so enamored of Studio Ghibli's work. Because even when the story could be told in some other way, like, um, what's it called? Like, The Wind Also Rises, which was supposed to be Miyazaki's last film, but he is a share of anime and will never actually retire until they put him in the ground. Um, you lovely chain-smoking weirdo. Um, <laughs> but he, through telling a story that they couldn't, through, tell, through using animation to tell these stories, even when they are pretty pedestrian by the standards of, like, Howl's Moving Castle or Princess Monoki or Spirit Away, they it adds something to the story because it makes the story feel like it couldn't exist without the anime, the dimension of it that is the fact that it's animated. And also, I think that there was a lot, a lot of Oscar campaigns, a lot of advertising, and I would venture to bet that John Lasseter hoard himself out endlessly for this movie. I would, I would venture to bet that he might have hoarded himself out endlessly to get Princess Mononoke nominated. I don't know if it was. But... Whatever happened, happened. And they ended up getting... Spirit Away ended up getting an Oscar. For many, many years. I don't, I think, don't think it is anymore. It was the highest grossing animated picture of all times. Uh, 
Now, all that said, how is it as a movie? I happen to really like it. I think that it talks about... It talks of It is... It's not not as it is fantastical, it is eerie, it is creepy, it is sweet, it is kind, and it is like a, it's it's a fun time of a movie with with like I said earlier some things to say about some very specific topics. They have a scene where. It's me that's meant to represent the idea of cleaning a river, because Hayami Zaki, the all but like I'm not kidding here, all but violent environmentalist that he is, thinks that it's very, very, very important that people that we as people act as stewards to the environment. And he's probably right about that because the environment, one day, if we keep fucking it up, it's gonna goddamn kill us, yo. But, um, once again, chain smoking crazy old, crazy old awesome man aside, um, just the way they tell a story about a little girl growing up and becoming a little less selfish. It's really kind of fun and great. Because when you when the story opens up, Chihiro, the main character, is moving with her parents to a new town. And you led to believe that it's not like she lived in Tokyo lived in Tokyo or anything, but she lived in a suburban town and now they're moving to a totally different kind of place. They are if you if you've ever seen um a letter to Momo, it's kind of like you get that kind of feeling. You get the feeling that she is moving down a population sect, if that makes any sense. She's moving from a more populated place to a less populated place, and as a little as a little kid, that can that can suck. It can suck to move. I mean, I moved and it sucked. But as an adult, it sucks to move. Who am I kidding? But they make sure to paint a really specific picture of a little girl who is very spoiled. She is. She's an only child. She wants what she wants. It's very clear that her parents spoil her because when she said. And this is true only of the fact that they go, she goes, I finally get a bouquet and it's a going away present. And the mom goes, uh, your dad got your rose for your birthday. And she, and her response is not, oh yeah, thanks dad. It's, that was just one rose that wasn't a bouquet. And it's just, it reeks of being just, the whiniest little girl in the planet. And her parents are trying to be really, really, really positive about 
what they're doing, about what's happening, and they're just they're trying to feel like it'll be okay. Everything's gonna be great. You can get to your new town. You can make new friends. You're gonna love it even more than you love living where in the town where we used to live. And she's just kind of she, she's doing the thing where Chiro's doing the thing where she is putting up with it because she can't not because she is like I think she's supposed to be twelve, like eleven or twelve, and she has no say in it. She's a 12-year-old. They're not going to listen to her. And nor should they. But, you know, she's not having any of it. And then they come across this... They basically all but drive into this old entrance to a place. And it's this very haunting, beautiful moss-covered, overgrown entrance to something that no one can quite... that the mother can't place. Chihiro's vaguely creeped out by. And then the father says it, and he goes, it must be one of those old abandoned amusement parks. And at, at first, at first, when you first see this movie, you're just like, oh, this is the way they get into the movie part of this movie <laughs> and not the intro part of this movie but if you do a little research you find out that in the like financial in the Japanese financial boom of the 90s which really is a thing and a, a very disturbing thing where the Jap basically was the Japanese government self-inflated its own currency beyond, way beyond the pale. And, like, Japanese had an economic boom on their hands. And one of the things that happened was they made a bunch of amusement parks, apparently. And when that went bad on them, a bunch of amusement parks got goddamn abandoned. And so there's just, it's a well-known thing that you can find these weird abandoned amusement parks all over Japan so it and the dad trying to be the dad trying to be adventurous and positive and give his just give his daughter something positive to like latch on to about any of this just like let's check it out it might be cool and the mom's like, yeah, it might be cool, huh, Chihiro? And Chihiro's like, no. I just want to go back in the car and go back to the normal bad thing we were doing. Not the new bad thing that just showed up. And, of course, she's outweighed and she follows them and her parents don't listen to her. And they cross this old dried stream. Now, remember that. Um, but they get to a food stall. And there's food there. And they're like, how, how is there food here? And Chihiro's very, very, like, she's very skeptical. She's very like, what the, f what the fuck is going on? She, she is like tiny Columbo this entire time. <laughs> and the parents are just like, it's fine. This food looks so good. We're so hungry. And they start eating it. 
first mistake. Actually, first mistake was getting out of the car, but second mistake, let's call it. Ah, third. Um, third mistake. But they turn into pigs. And this is what starts the spiral of Chihiro's life as a, like, jan as basically janitorial staff to a bathhouse for the spirits. Her name is stolen from her by an old witch named Yubaba, and she becomes this, she becomes a, she becomes like a low-tier janitor for a bathhouse for the spirits. She, like, scrubs tubs. She, like, fills orders. She, um, all this stuff. But she, um, meets a boy named, ha named Haku, who is Yubaba's right-hand man, and he's this, like, mysterious character. Um... Also, um, it's at this point that I want to talk about something that is I don't usually talk about here, but it is unique in the in Studio Ghibli movies produced who have American production by Pixar and Disney, and that is the voice cast and voice acting because the voice acting in the Disney version of these movies is really excellent. It is like the, it is the voice acting of record for any Studio Ghibli movie that had it. So, um, but early on, one of the early like stable like stables, stable actors that they used over and over again, um, first in Prince of Monokey, and then this was. You, if you don't know this, you're going to be like, what? Billy Bob Thornton. And the reason for that is, and B Billy Bob Thornton is on record in saying this, is Billy Bob Thornton makes mostly R-rated movies, and he wanted to like be in a movie that his kids could watch. So if his kids at any time before just the age of 18 um, were like, hey, Dad, can I watch one of your movies? He could be like, here are the Ghibli movies. Go to town. Um, which I always thought was really kind of funny and sweet. Um, but he plays, in this movie, he plays the um, bathhouse foreman. And the, and, uh, in Princess Mononoke, he plays um, the, like, the actual bad guy of that movie. The, like, the, the monk. I forget his name, but he—he's he, a—he's a name—he's a—he's an actual named, like seriously, not background character in the um in Prince Monoki, but in Spirit Away, he is the foreman of the bathhouse, and he does. Uh, you can tell this guy is a musician because there are scenes in this movie where he leans on that, like skill set heavily. As a voice actor, which is really great, but um, Chihiro, Chihiro basically she has they show her living her life through this thing, and all, the entire time she is kind of constantly paired up with with Haku, 
Um, and... A leads to B, and she realizes that Haku is actually the spirit of this river. Now, I mentioned before there was a scene where um, it was meant to represent A, and you can go look this up on YouTube probably, to the interview with Miyazaki where he talks about specifically, where he talks about seeing a community come together and clean up this river. And he remembers specifically seeing a little girl like, pull a whole wrecked bicycle out of the river. And they have, they have, the really kind of great thing about these, about specifically this movie, but also a little bit, or more than a little bit, um, Princess Mononoke is that they have moments in both movies where, like, the good guys and the established good guys and the bad guys kind of fall away and the, and everyone's aimed towards one goal in um, Princess Mononoke. That happens at the end of the movie. Um, but in the in this, it happens kind of at the halfway point when they have the scene that's meant to represent cleaning up the river, and Yubaba realizes that this, like, ugly guest that they invited in, um, named, I think, I think this is what, this, like, ugly, stinky guest that they invited in and forced Chihiro to make, to, um, offer a bath to, is actually a river spirit who is so, whose river has been so polluted he is now this like sludge monster. And smelling money, Yubaba's just like, let's go, let's do it. And she gets everybody together and they all tug a broken bicycle out of this thing and it like drains and the river spirit comes up and like rain down gold nuggets on everybody there and it's just this it is a moment in the movie where th what side you're on doesn't matter it all falls away and everybody's working towards one goal and that goal is ultimately positive and more and more the um movie kind of gestures towards that slowly and and with that you see Chihiro putting being less sorry for herself and being more assertive and instead of just taking it lying down and complaining she finds a solution and does things on her own and she grows as a person and it's just it's a it's a sweet movie, and it's not... It It can certainly be interpreted, and probably interpreted by a lot of people on the internet, as a romantic movie because it's a haku angle. I'm sure you can go find doujins of Chihiro and Haku out there in the world, out there on the big bad internet, if you want to. But it is ultimately a story about... 
a kid growing up, but not all the way up. This is not, um, this is not, what's that other movie? Uh, my friend saw it in the theater. Never mind. It, it, it's not saying like, it's not like boyhooding it, basically. <laughs> it's saying she is growing as a person to the next, to like the next step up. She's taking, she's stepping up to the next, like, platform on the staircase to growing up. And it's, and by the end of the movie, she's, it's not like she's a drastically different person. It's that she's just different enough where she's a better person. And that, and that's really, that's a really great story to tell. And that takes a lot of finesse. And I, I'm, believe me, I'm not saying that, like, it, Studio Ghibli is the end-all, be-all, greatest of all times of anime. There have been and will continue to be great anime movies coming from all kinds of different places. Um, I've talked about a couple of them here. You can go listen to the podcast I did on Miss Hoku on Saratobi Miss Hokusai, which is a which is not the best movie, but it is a great depiction of like life as a creative, as a, as a creative person, and what that's like, and what it's like living as a creative person who works for someone who is better than you <laughs> on, on, on uh, who is better than you as a creative person but not necessarily as a person period <laughs> uh, because yo Hokusai in that movie is a real shit bag <laughs> but um I am saying that there is something that, that Studio Ghibli found that it's not that no one found, but that very few people ha were encouraged to reproduce the concept of so early on, and that is to combine the two sides of something. To say, okay, here's this fantastical story, and here's this really down-to-earth kind of hook for this story, and bring them together. If you look at it, that's what Princess Monokia is. That's what um, Howl's Moving Castle is. That's what Tales of Earthsea attempts to be. Um, which um, if you if you want a really great actually um YouTube channel, check out check out that talks about stuff beyond that's specifically called Beyond Ghibli. It's a British guy who makes videos, and he makes one every couple months, it seems like. And he explores he explores animated films beyond Studio Ghibli. or And sometimes just anime beyond Studio Ghibli, or a concept in anime. Um, or genre. But he has a really great kind of odd 
defense of um what's it called uh the tales from Ersty on that channel that I really can't recommend enough but um so in telling these stories they movies like Spirited Away endear you to the characters no matter how insufferable Chihiro can be you can put that together in your head because you were that insufferable kid at some point everybody was but no matter how but on top of that they add this beautiful setting and this interpret in this interpretation of Japanese and and usually an interpretation of in Spirit Away and Prince Monoki Japanese folktale or um, folk literature that it's just it's just enchanting in a way that you can't help but just marvel at and it, it's, um, it's no wonder that Studio Ghibli is the one that won an Oscar. Because they really had the movie, they really had the kind of formula that, from what I can gather, the Academy looks for when they're not looking to be, to, to, to get a reach around from the nominee, like the artist. God damn it, it's the artist just so bad. It's just it's just a bad movie. Um <laughs> I it's a bad movie. I saw that movie in theaters and that's a bad movie. But um So yeah, it's I, I mean I've been gushing about this and usually when I do studio Ghibli stuff I just end up gushing because I don't want to go through the whole plot, but uh, it's a complicated thing doing a Studio Ghibli movie, at least for me. But the reason why Studio Ghibli, why Studio Ghibli is the studio that won the Oscar in anime that everybody remembers is because they're not concerned. They're not concerned with, and certainly Hayao Miyazaki isn't concerned with, like representing the tropes of anime. When Chihiro freaks out because she steps on one of the little soot balls, it it feels like the natural, like, oh, I just stepped in sludge feeling. It's not like this, like, it, it doesn't feel so exaggerated or so... quote-unquote anime, if that, make any, if that makes any sense. Whereas in, um... Uh, Makoto Shinkai's Your Name, which is a phenomenal movie. I did a podcast about it on... I, I, I did an episode about it on this very podcast. But it... It still has some... Vest, it has vestiges of anime. It, it's, it's still speaking that language. And that's not a bad thing. It's not bad. But it... It helps to it's not that it helps to separate it it helps 
identify it and it helps it helps people put it in a box if that makes any sense it helps people hear about that from their kids and if a if a kid goes to their if a kid if a child of an academy of a academy of motion sciences or whatever it's called um goes to their parents and says you know i watched that movie that's nominated and it's like it's beautiful it looks amazing like nothing i've ever seen and you know it's they showed that they showed the main they showed the little girl, you know, tapping her shoe tapping her foot down in her shoe so she could tie her shoe again. That's a very specific scene in Spirited Away. A very specific detailed focus. That a, like a, a kid could come away with. I came away with when I was a kid. And if you went to your parents and you said, like, that's a scene, they'd probably look at you like, really? Show me this scene. And then they're in, and then they're watching it. And I'm not saying that, like, you know, anime movies shouldn't be, should be less anime or whatever. But I am saying that, you know, Spirited Away is art that imitates life. Not in the way that it wants life to be or in the way that it thinks that people want life to be. But in the way that it actually can be and is. I mean, down to the fact that Chihiro ends up being right about not eating the food. And the parents end up being wrong. The, the, the future belongs to the young kind of deal. And it's just... It's just a really... It's a beautiful movie. It, 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 deserve, it deserves the accolades it got. And still gets. Um, but yeah. So uh, with that said, I have been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio, and if you like this episode, um, then you can go and you can subscribe to us in either on your podcast app of choice or in by using the link in the description below this pod of this podcast. And um, if you really like this, you can share it with your friends. You can say, "Hey, this guy on the internet." talks about cartoons, he kind of rambles, but it's kind of fun, check it out, here it is, or you could have leave us a review on iTunes, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Google Play Podcasts, Spotify, I'm on Spotify, um, all of it really, like, anywhere you can find... Anyway, you're listening to me, you can probably leave a review, and I would greatly appreciate a nice, solid five-star review. And on that note, I'll talk to you next time.